Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Uh, good to see so many people out today. Um, Phil, Phil sends his love and greetings. He's down speaking in Fermanagh, I think, this morning. So he says hello to everyone. Um, I'm not going to be able to, me and Peter having a private joke here, in my hurry to get up, I nearly took my wife's head off um, with, her, with her lanyard. It was one of those ones that had the arm around the back, you know, being romantic, and then quickly it was up. <laughs> and nearly, nearly took her out, so apologies, Laura, for that one. Um, hope you've all had a really good weekend, everything you've been doing. Um, Phil, yes, I said, sends us love. Um, Phil's been doing an amazing job over the last two, three weeks, just introducing the next part of where we're going to with this series. We really wanted to stay on, following Jesus in all of life. We have spent many weeks looking at the ways of Jesus, and where we really wanted to press into now was to look at the truth of the words that Jesus actually teaches us um, in, in some of these different ways. One of those primarily is we wanted to explore the parables, and we want to look at those in Matthew's gospel. Phil was last week looking at the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13, and today, if you want to get your Bibles ready, we're going to be still in Matthew 13. We're looking at another parable just flowing off the back of this, which is known as the parable of the weeds. Um, in Matthew 13, verses 24 to 30, and uh, we're going to be going into that um, now. It's, it's really important for us to, to recognize, though, that as Jesus teaches parables, um, j- just a couple of things to note on it. Firstly, the very fact that Jesus was teaching the people in parables was actually a prophetic declaration itself that Jesus was Messiah. It says this further on in the same chapter in Matthew 13, so in verses 34 to 35. It says, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Jesus is turning up on the scene. And actually, even in this moment of teaching in parables, this is him almost confirming his messianic identity. Here he is, Messiah coming on on the scene. And one of the things just to say about the parables, as Jesus does this, Jesus was really clear. He taught quite a bit in parables. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when we read the Gospels, the parables are one of the things that we love reading because we just love a good wee story right? We love having almost illustrations in different ways. A lot of the time, I don't know about you, but sometimes when you, you hear some really deep theologians, sometimes they can almost lose you a lot of the time by some of the things that they say. It can be very deep. And many times for them to almost catch people's attention, what they have to do is they have to flesh it out with little stories that almost illustrate the point that they're trying to make. The thing I want to say this morning before we jump in to look at this parable, this is not ever what Jesus was doing. I, I love one of the books I've read before, Um, Ken Bailey's book, Jesus the Middle Eastern Eyes, he talks about how Jesus, as he teaches, what Jesus was actually doing. He was what we would know as a a metaphorical theologian. As Jesus taught, the way that he taught was through story, was through metaphor. The last thing Jesus was ever was doing was referencing a story to almost illustrate a point of his theology. The story was his theology. The story was the main point. And this morning, as we come to the story and as we come to the parable and we come to the theology, I want to just pray, God, give us eyes to see the depth of actually what you're saying here. This is more than just a nice wee story to make it easier for us to get. There's a depth for us to get to. So Holy Spirit, help us as we go into this. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to read these words of Jesus as, as we go through this. So let's, um, let, let's just take a look at this. 
as we do, one of the things I'm going to try and draw out, which is really important as you, we try to interpret any passage of Scripture, but particularly when it comes to the parables, is just to ask, what did it mean to the people who were actually sitting listening to Jesus as he was speaking it? So here's the words that we read in Matthew 13. If you have Bibles with you, it's going to be on the screen as well. But here it is, Matthew 13, verses 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at a harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into the barn. What Jesus actually does after telling the story, there's a few verses that come later in Matthew, and then down, um, I think it's in verse 36, Jesus starts to unpack and starts to tell the disciples, actually, this is what the story is representing. So here's the list of all the things, all the characters, all the different things that are playing out in the story. Jesus talks about a person who goes and sows good seed. Jesus says the person who sows good seed is the son of man. He's talking about himself. This was representing Jesus. He says that the seed is sown into the field, and he tells the disciples, the field was the world, right? The very world that we live in. The good seed represented the sons of the kingdom of God, those who are part of God's kingdom. The weeds represented the sons of the kingdom of darkness. We'll unpack what we mean about that in a little while. The enemy was representing the devil. The harvest was talking about the end of time, the end of the age. And the reapers was represented by the angels. All of these characters, all these different parts, it's important to hold just as we go through the different aspects of the parable this morning. But this was the interpretation that Jesus was given to the disciples, so it's important that we just hold close to this. Jesus, you've heard us say this many times, one of the main things that he always wanted to be talking about in his message and in his teaching was the topic of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was desperate for people to get an understanding of all that was available to them by the kingdom of heaven becoming available and what it actually meant for them in their lives. So we've just already sang this morning, I scribbled it down, to reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost. This is what Jesus had come, was to reveal the kingdom that was coming. Jesus stands and he tells the people from the outside, he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it's present, it's here for you. And as Jesus goes into this, into this parable, he starts to teach again on the kingdom of heaven. But what I want to simply do is from this, I just want to just bring out three points that I just feel I just want to land from a teaching point of view. Just going to do this and just for the next 20 minutes or so. And then we're just going to leave some space at the end just to respond and pray into some of these things. Um, just to allow the Holy Spirit just to do what he needs to do at the end. But as Jesus does this, as he starts to engage with the kingdom, the first thing that he starts to pick out is this and starts to really emphasize to everyone that is listening is that there are two kingdoms that are at work. My prayer this morning, right, because I don't know about you, but you might have read these parables many, many times. You've heard the stories told time and time again. Some of the points that I'm even going to put up, you might have heard them say, but my prayer this morning is, God, would you give us fresh eyes to see this? Would you give us fresh understanding in terms of what is our responsibility for this? And we're going to be listening to this at the very end. Actually, Jesus finishes off and says this, anyone who has ears to listen, 
here at the Spirit is saying. So this morning, this is our prayer. If you have ears to listen, then listen to what the Spirit is saying. And these don't shrug it off and say, well, I've heard this story before. Let's listen to what the Spirit is speaking afresh. This is what Jesus starts to really try to emphasize. There are two kingdoms that are at work, two kingdoms that are constantly seeking to influence people's lives. The thing was, for the Jews, for the children of Israel, when it came to the topic of the kingdom of heaven and what that meant, they had a bit of a misplaced understanding about what the kingdom of heaven was really like. And, uh, and while we can look back at that and think, how on earth did they miss it? The reality is, for, for many of us, even in the church, not just in Emmanuel, but in the church generally, there still is a misplaced understanding about the kingdom of God. It seems to be that Christianity can be reduced to, let's just say a prayer, get the token and the ticket to heaven, and that's it done. What it's actually is the beginning point is that you're stepping into relationship with God so that you're now part of the kingdom of God. And this is why Jesus wants to be really clear about an understanding and to teach us properly. This is what the kingdom of heaven is all about, and this is what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. And this is what we really want to try and pull out this morning. For the Jews, they felt that when the Messiah would turn up, that it would mean that immediately, so as soon as the Messiah came, immediately it would mean that there would be an end to sin and unrighteousness. So that as soon as the Messiah came, that immediately the enemies of Israel, the enemies of God would be obliterated, they would be destroyed. That as soon as the Messiah came, they believed this in a spiritual sense a little bit, but they believed it more in a political sense that everything was going to be set right, that God was going to and get rid of all the enemies of Israel. And the big thing that the Jews were just totally misled in was this. They believed that the kingdom of God was only for them. It was only for the children of Israel and no one else. So this is why this morning, regardless of what your thought and your theology and understanding of the kingdom of heaven, this is for all of us. Jesus speaks into this this morning. And so he says this. It's almost like he just wants to make it clear in case people are sitting thinking, oh, here's Jesus telling another one of his nice wee stories. He starts to say, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to this. People's ears would start to prick up to the Jews. They're sitting thinking, oh, is this guy going to tell us something? Like, is he going to say something about how we're going to wipe out the Romans and what's going to happen and all these sort of things? They start to get their attention. The kingdom of heaven may be compared. And straight away, Jesus begins to unpack this reality to them. Again, two kingdoms that are at work in the world, both completely opposed to each other, both very real, both carrying a significant impact in the world, even as it currently stands. And what Jesus does is that he starts to bring out that as they know that in every kingdom there is a ruler, there are citizens, there's, there's domains where they have their influence. And so Jesus starts to illustrate some of this even in the parable and in the teaching. So here's some of the things which we can glean from it. Jesus says there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness. The ruler of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says this, the man who sows the good seed into the world. Jesus says it's the son of man, it's him. This is why Kanye West is onto something, right? Jesus is king, right? Jesus is king. And we know this, actually, Philippians 2 tells us this, that because he didn't think of equality with God, something to cling or to hold on to, but he humbled himself and took on the form of a servant, took on the form of flesh, became like us, and became obedient unto the point of death. It says, therefore, God has elevated him to the name that is above every other name in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee might bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is king. Jesus is king of the ruler of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus makes it really clear, though, that there is an enemy who's responsible for the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus tells us that the enemy is the devil. And in this, and one is just says, let, let me unpack this a little bit later. But Jesus just clearly sets out that there are people who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. They are those that are saved. 
those that are in relationship with God, those that are living into the things of the kingdom of God. And there are citizens of the kingdom of darkness, those who are unsaved, those who are not living into the things of God, those who are maybe not in a right standing, maybe being, and who are being controlled and influenced by the spirit of the world. What I want to do just very briefly before we go on in the passage, I want to just show you how Paul actually unpacks this reality about the, the two kingdoms as well. In Ephesians chapter 2, this is the... Um, uh, th this is a different translation. I can't remember the translation name for this, but this is what it says in Ephesians 2. In the past, you were dead because you sinned and fought against God. You followed the ways of the world and obeyed the devil. He rules the world, and his spirit has power over everyone who doesn't obey God. Once we were also ruled by the selfish desires of our bodies and minds. We had made God angry, and we were going to be punished like everyone else. But God was merciful we were dead because of our sins, but God loved us so much that he made us alive with Christ. And God's wonderful kindness is what saves you. God raised us from death to life with Christ Jesus, and he has given us a place beside Christ in heaven. God did this so that in the future world, he could show how truly good and kind he is to us because of what Christ Jesus has done. Before we move on, this is really important. It's all to do about what Christ has done for people to move from one kingdom to another. It's all because of the price and all the things that Jesus has done for us. Jesus has won us with the price of the blood that he paid. This is why we celebrated it this morning. And he goes on to say this, you are saved by faith in God who treats us much better than we deserve. This is God's gift to you. And not anything you have done on your own. It isn't something you have earned so that it is nothing you can brag about. God planned for us to do good things and to live as he has always wanted us to live. That's why he sent Christ to make us what we are. There are two kingdoms that are at work. One that wants to destroy and to kill and to take away from your life. The other that wants to lead you into the fullness of everything that you could ever want and hope for. Peter, or Paul actually says this specifically in verse 2. Let's read that again. You followed the ways of this world and obeyed the devil. So this is him talking about people who are not part of the kingdom of God. So he's trying to talk about the people who are part of what he would call the kingdom of darkness. He said that she followed the ways of the world and obeyed the devil. He rules the world and his spirit has power over everyone who doesn't obey God. Right? The devil has power over everyone who doesn't obey God. This is what Jesus was referencing in the parable as the weeds. It represented those who he called about the sons of the devil. I know that sounds, maybe it's, it almost sounds like that, it's like, that sounds like a step too far. The reality is the people that Jesus calls sons of the devil, it's not because they have a direct understanding that the devil exists and they're choosing him, but what Jesus is saying that if you're not choosing the kingdom of God, there's only one of two choices. That you either live for the kingdom of God or you're living for the kingdom of darkness. And this is why he calls them sons of the devil, those who are being influenced and led by the devil in that way. And so Jesus references as the weeds. And for the people that are sitting listening, this is the cool thing about the cultural understanding. For the people who are sitting listening to this parable, this was well known. So Phil last week in the parable of the sower was saying about how agriculture was such a significant part of what was going on in that culture and that society. And what actually happened was that for many of the people who were sitting listening, they knew that sometimes this happened, that if there was a farmer who almost wanted to, to destroy or to affect badly the, the crops of another farmer so that they could be better and earn more money in comparison, what they would do sometimes is that they would sow weed into the farmer's field. And the weed that was well known in the, at this time in the area that would have been sown in this way was known as this, a bearded 
Darnell, or Darnell, I think is what you call it, but this is the name of the weed. And the thing that was, the thing that was really crucial about this weed, it was with the weed and the weight, as they grew, they looked identical. So when they sowed weed into the field where the wheat was growing, they looked, they looked exactly the same. They looked identical. And the only time you could ever tell that it was weed instead of wheat was when the both of them started to produce fruit. The fruit that the wheat produced was completely different to the fruit that the weed would produce. There was nothing different or better in themselves, but actually something to do with the fruit that was being produced in this way. And so for people who were sitting listening, they would have had an understanding of this. The fruit that is produced Jesus is saying, as a result of what's at the core, what is the source of their life? This is why Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5, that actually there is a fruit that is produced in all of our lives depending what we are living to. So it says this, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. So Paul's saying this, if you're going to follow things of the flesh and things of the devil and things that are of his kingdom, then this is the result of some of the ways that you'd be led, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me just pause there a second, right? So Paul's trying to frame it here that there's people who, if you're living as part of the kingdom of God, there's a way to live and a way not to live. Let me just say this, that as you read this list, the last thing I want to do as we read this is to start putting guilt and condemnation in people. If you notice some of the things in the list, and you identify that actually some of these sometimes you find present in your life. What this is not saying is that you're no longer part of the kingdom of heaven, that you're out, right? This is not what it's saying. But what it is saying is that if you truly are someone that is looking to live for Jesus, there should be a desire within you to not live for these things. This is why the Bible is clear that it is important for us to examine our hearts before the Lord, to ask the Lord to search us and see if there's anything in us that isn't leading, that is maybe living into some of these ways. And if it is, then to repent of it. But the beautiful thing is, Proverbs 24, 16 says this, though a righteous person or a godly person may trip seven times, they get up again. The devil will want to tell you sometimes if you look at things like this, well, you're finished. <laughs> just, just give up. You're a rubbish Christian. You can't do anything for God, but it's, it's get up. But the thing is, we need to examine our hearts because this is the truth. If we look at the last paragraph. This is the type of fruit that we need to be living into. This is the type of fruit that should be evident. The Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no other law against these. The thing about this weed that I was referencing, the fruit that was produced as a result of it was actually toxic. So while the weed, the fruit producing it was good for food, the, the, the fruit that was produced in this weed, if people ate it in big enough amounts, it could, it could kill. And, uh, and the significance of this is that Jesus is saying this, both the weed and the good seeds, they both have an influence on the world. Jesus is really clear. There are two types there's good seed, which produces weeds, or wheat, and then there's the weeds that are planted as well, and both of them have an influence in the world. And this is where the next part of where I just want to look at for a while this morning is really clear. Both the citizens of the kingdom of heaven, or of the, of the different kingdoms, have an influence in the world, and both are sent with a purpose. Now, hear me in this uh, as, as we go into this. This, this plays out in, in this next point, because what we see at the beginning is this. 
we see a man, it says, who sowed good seed in his field, right? And so Jesus tells us that the man who sows the good seed was him. He's the son of man, and he's scattering the sons of righteousness. This is what the picture is for him. This is Jesus with the good seed. He's scattering it in the field. Remember, the field is the world. He's scattering it. This is great commission stuff right here. Imagine this, that Jesus teaches this parable. People are listening to it. And then several months later, after Jesus has given up his life and has raised back from the dead and is about to ascend back to heaven, Jesus stands in front of all of his followers. And now, almost just like the picture of this parable, Jesus is about to scatter them into the world. And the great commission is given, go into all the world. And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, know this, I'm with you. And Jesus does this with the seed. He scatters them. This is the picture of what it means for us as believers. And we're going to look at that a little bit later. But here's the significant thing for you this morning. Your life is significant. This is what you need to understand. Your life counts. Sometimes what the enemy can do, and we're going to look at some of the tactics of the enemy in our lives, the enemy will get you to compare and think that you, you're not a significant. Your life counts. Every bit of seed that is scattered, the hope and desire of God is that it will produce fruit. God's desire is for the fruit of the kingdom to start to grow and to be produced in your life so that your life can be significant. And the next point is to say is this, is where you are placed in your life is significant as well. You're not there just by chance. God has placed and positioned you where you're at in your life. And as God scatters you, the whole point is that through you, the kingdom influence will be demonstrated in your life so that other people get to experience the ways of the kingdom of God. This is why it's such good news. Go into all the world. Your life is significant. Your life counts. Do not downplay what you can do for God. Your life is of major worth and significance. Do not let the enemy lie to you and to take away and to detract from what God wants to do in and through your life. Your life counts your good seed for the kingdom of God. Everyone, this is why there's a call that's placed upon all of our lives. I think it might be one of the verses coming up later on. I think this is it in Ephesians 2 verse 10. God planned for us to do good things and to live as he always wanted us to live. Some other translations say this. God has good work and good purpose for you. So let me ask, where, where are you at on a da daily basis? Think of some of the people in your life, we're going to be asking this later on, who, who don't yet know Jesus, and who you can be a direct influence. And God has scattered, and God has positioned you. And what you need to know and to have boldness and confidence is that your life counts in God. As you carry his power and you carry his authority, your life counts in that way. But in a similar fashion, I just want to say this, the kingdom of darkness works in exactly the same way. How the enemy seeks to outwork his influence, again, is through the lives of people as well. The, the devil does influence believers. We're going to look about this in, in a little second. But specifically, I want to just look at this, that for some people who, who aren't living for the ways of Christ, the enemy has a major influence over their lives. And it's not because those people are wicked or those people are evil, but the reality is that they don't realize that there actually is another way. They don't actually realize that there is something better. They don't actually realize that what they're settling for is second best because no one has revealed to them the truth. And yet what God does or what the devil does is that through some of these people is that as, he's, as his influence grows in their lives, sometimes some of the fruit that is produced in their life has detrimental effect on people around the world. And we just see this, that there are people who are just, it seems, bent on evil and in lots of different ways. All these people are being influenced by the enemy. The thing is, though, we don't always recognize it as being the enemy. What happens is we see it just 
being people. What we can so easily do when we see bad things happening in people, when we look around the world, what we can so easily do is we can point the finger and we can ridicule people and we can ridicule situations and we can blame people for certain things. And yet the reality is, and it's, we, of course we all have responsibilities, we all have choices to make, and there are people that are making wrong choices that are doing some really bad things. But here's the truth behind it all. Paul says this, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It's really important for us to grasp and understand this, that even when certain, some people in your life are having detrimental impact on you, one of the things that the enemy wants you to do is to almost just blame them. I think I have this as a verse later on, but what actually it's said in the parable, it says that the enemy comes in and scatters the seed of the weeds, it says, and then he leaves again. The enemy comes in and scatters the seed and then he leaves, because you see, he's, he's really subtle. He comes in and scatters and does his thing. And then, and then what happens is the, the, the produce of it, what we actually see as a result of it, in terms of how it outworks in and through other people and through situations, all we see is the people, and so we so easily blame other people. And one of the things I just want to say this morning is that you need to be really, really clear who it is you're aiming and targeting your blame at. There have been, even in the body of Christ, the relationships that break down friendships breaking down, marriage relationships breaking down, and what so easily happens, and even that we see it like relating person to person even in the world, what so easily happens is that there are certain points where the devil just starts to get in, and because he comes in and scatters his seed and then leaves again, and he's so, so subtle, we don't recognize it as being the devil, and what we start to do is we start to blame other people. So be so clear on who you're who you're primarily pointing your blame and targeting your blame at. We have an enemy who wants to steal and kill and destroy everything of good in the world. And we need to be clear of that. I don't know if you've ever read the book, uh, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It's a great book. Um, I've seen the play version of it as well. But this book, what it's about, um, it, it talks about there's this chief demon called Screwtape. And he sends these series of letters to his nephew um, called, um, I can't remember his name, um, Wormtail, so it was to his nephew Wormtail. And Wormtail is like this apprentice demon who is just trying to learn the ways of how to draw people away from, from God. And the reality is the enemy, while he'll do some big things, the enemy is just really, really subtle. So here's just a couple of extracts just really briefly from this, uh, just before we just start to close off. He says this, so this is Screwtape speaking to, to his nephew. He says, I wonder you should ask me whether it's essential to keep the patient, so this is the person they're trying to take away from the things of God, whether to keep the patient in ignorance about your existence. So he's saying, do you really want the person to know that you actually exist? He says, that question, at least for the present phase of the struggle, has been answered for us by the high command. Our policy for the moment is to conceal ourselves. Of course, this has not always been so. We, we are really faced with a cru cruel dilemma. When human beings disbelieve in our existence, we lose all the pleasing results of direct terrorism and we make no magicians. On the other hand, when they believe in us, we cannot make them materialists and skeptics, at least not yet. You see, it's the subtle ways that the devil will seek to try and take you away from the things of God, even by the small things that people will say and how the small things start to creep in the relationships and start to break down the fabric of, of even society and culture. It's the small things that start to build in. And the enemy will work in these ways. Just one more, he says, if you, if you, if you can once get him to the point of thinking that religion is all very well up to a point, you can feel quite happy about his soul. 
a moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all and more amusing. If we can get people to a certain point, this is what it is, even with people who will claim Christ but just never really live for Christ. If we can get people to that point, it's almost like the enemy's saying that's, that's job one for them. A question I just want to ask is this. Who's influencing your life? Who is influencing your life? Because there are people who will want to influence your life for good and for bad. And the question I want to ask is, who is influencing your life? If you are someone who is not allowing yourself, is maybe disconnecting yourself. Ryan actually gave a prophetic word at the start of the service where he felt that there were people in the church that were coming here today that what the Spirit was going to speak into was that they had chosen to isolate themselves that they were feeling that they just could do it on their own, that they didn't desire, that they really needed to be around other believers. And it's so important that you start to ask who's influencing your life because if all you have is that you surround yourself with people who aren't living for the things of the kingdom of God, you can be sure that they will not influence you and help you in the things of the kingdom of God. In fact, it will be the opposite. So who's influencing your life? Who are you surrounding yourself with day and daily in, in lots of different ways? And look at what Jesus teaches here in the parable in verse 23. He says this, but while his men were sleeping, the enemy comes in and sowed wheat. It's really crucial here that actually we see that Jesus says that it's when we're not physically sleeping, but when we're spiritually sleeping, that this is when the enemy comes in and does his business. Like you, you, you read the stories of David in the Old Testament in the book of Samuel. David, where you know the narrative and the story, David who's a man after God's own heart, the man you think should be getting it all right, and then he has this major moral failure with Bathsheba. But yet it actually says at the beginning of that passage in that narrative, so while David's up walking on the, the rooftop of the palace, and this is what leads to him seeing Bathsheba and everything goes out of control, what actually happens at the start of that chapter, it says this, at the time when the kings normally go to war, David remained behind in Jerusalem. It was almost like David just thought he would just take a wee break. <laughs> he would just take a moment out. And this is why we need to realize and understand that we can never rest on our laurels with us. Peter says this, stay alert. Watch out, your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour the harsh reality force. And this is what you need to know. If you're, if you're seeking to step into a relationship with Jesus, it's, it's hard. Do you know why it's hard? Because it's a sacrifice and there's a cost with it. This isn't just always just plain sailing. There's a cost with this. There's a cost every day we're told to take up our cross daily, and to follow Jesus. And this is why you need to know you just never, ever, ever can have a day off in the kingdom of heaven, right? You never get a holiday, right? You don't go away for a week holiday in the kingdom of heaven just to get a week just to take it easy. Obviously, of course, you can go physically and rest, but the reality is there's never an off day in the kingdom of heaven. This is a daily battle. There are two kingdoms that are waging war for the souls of mankind, so stay alert. Make sure that we are directly, um, that, uh, we also that we directly blame or direct the blame at the right person, the right thing, as I said earlier on. And the reality is, for some of you in the room, what might happen is maybe in part of your faith at the minute, you actually feel that your faith actually is starting to wane a little. And part of where you feel at the moment is actually you maybe are in a place you feel like you would just love to start disconnecting. You would love to just maybe just not want to be around Christians as much because maybe some of them are winding you up the wrong way, whatever it might be. I saw this verse over the weekend. It wasn't a verse. It was someone posted it as a quote, I think, on Twitter over the weekend, and I knew I was going to be speaking on this, so I just thought it was really good. The worst things to do when your faith is deconstructing is to give in to disconnection. The worst demons prey on our isolation. 
it's so important that you don't isolate yourself. You stay connected. And listen, let me tell you this, regardless of how long you've been a Christian for, do not think that you can make it on your own. Do not think that you can make it on your own. The enemy will want to tell you that and say, you're okay just to be on your own. Of course, there are good things that God can still do as you spend your own personal devotion to the Lord. But do not isolate yourself. Do not disconnect yourself and allow yourself to move away. But the question just finally to ask is this, what is the kingdom response? If the enemy, so if God wants to do good things in the world through believers, and yet the enemy sometimes want to use unbelievers sometimes just to influence the world in negative ways that are just opposite to God, what is our response? What should we do? Because what actually happened in this parable was this. This is what the servant said. So the master said to them, an enemy has done this. And the servants come to them and say, well, then do you want us to go and gather them? They're saying to the master, do you want us to go and gather them and get rid of them? And we'll just keep the weight, the, the weight nice and safe and we'll get rid of the weights. And the master says, no, no, no. In case, obviously in case maybe we damage the weight, but he says this, this line, and we go to the next one. He says, let them both grow together until the harvest. Let them both grow together until the harvest. You see, what has happened, the Pharisees were even doing this, and this is what Jesus was challenging. The Pharisees just wanted to just stay on their own. Like, they were just like, anyone outside was just out. No one was getting in. They just had these legalistic rules that was there to almost just try and protect them. What has happened over the years with the church as well is that we just love staying in our wee holy huddles. It's like this is the best way to protect our faith and our walk with the Lord is if we just keep ourselves, me and my small corner and you and yours. This is, this is sometimes what we've thought. But yet if we look at our master, if we look at Jesus and what he teaches us, in Matthew chapter 9, one of the earlier chapters, we're told this, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but to call the sinners. Jesus wanted to be clear in this. He knew who he wanted to influence him. Jesus said he would only do what the Father had told him to do. He was guarding his own life. But yet Jesus was true to his mission. Bible says this, this, Jesus says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And the reality is, this is why this is, what, this is why we need to recognize that this is the heart and the purpose of God. God as a Father loves us as His children. But you need to understand this this morning, even if you, if you don't call yourself a believer, this is what you need to know. God loves the whole world. And this morning, if you're not in relationship with God, you need to know God loves you. I can't stress it enough that God loves you. John 3, 16 says this, for God so loved the whole world, not just the Christians, but God so loved the whole world that he sent the world, his son, Jesus. It says this in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. It said, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. God does not want anyone to perish. And this is why he sends good seeds into the world. God does not desire that anybody would perish. And so day and daily, this is what we need to recognize. This is why we can't have a day off. This is why you need to recognize your life is crucial. This is why you need to recognize there is a purpose for your very being, where you're at on a day and daily basis, because into the world, God is scattering his good seeds. Tomorrow, as we go out to wherever you're going, God is scattering his good seeds. And the hope for God is that none would perish. God does not want the reality of, of this. This is what he says. This is what Jesus says will happen. So at the end of his explanation of the parable, he says this, just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. 
the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Jesus, Jesus talks really clearly about hell. And it's one of the things that we don't often talk, and probably don't talk about enough, but the reality is there is a hell. But the verse before, where it actually tells us that it is the heart and the will of God that none would perish, you need to know this, it is the heart of God that none would go to this place. God has not designed hell for any one person. God designed hell for the devil and the fall, his fallen angels. But their plan and their purpose is to bring as many people with them in the kingdom that he is overseeing. And this is why you need to understand the heart of God towards you today is one of love. And all you need to know is that if you want to just, if you want to be part of God's kingdom and to live a life for God and to live a life of fullness, all we need to do is to accept the free gift of salvation that Jesus gives to us. This is all that he has done for us. Jesus has won this for us and paid the price for us so that we don't have to go into this. His heart is that none would perish. But the reality is that not everyone knows that news. Not everyone knows the truth of that. And there are people that don't even realize that there is a Savior who can save them. And this is why over 2,000 years ago, Jesus stood in front of his followers who were the beginning of the church and said, go into all the world and you've heard me say this before, but yet what we do is we sit in the church and we scratch our heads and we think, how could people die in another world when they've never heard about Jesus? We sit here as a church scratching our heads saying, how is it? and yet 2,000 years ago, Jesus told us to go into the whole world. And we sit just apathetically trying to work it out. How could this be God's love? God's purpose for us is to be good seed and to go into all the world. There's a purpose for your life. God wants to use you. Your life counts where you're at over these next whiles. And this is why, this is the picture I just want you to remember, your seed in the hands of God. Claire and the guys are going to come. They're going to lead us in a song. Well, let me just finish this by saying this. This is how Jesus finishes the parable. And again, you've heard this before. Anyone with ears to hear should listen. So this is where it becomes more than just a nice wee story. It makes it into a child's Bible. This is where this becomes almost like this is, our, this is our missional mandate. This is like where Jesus is the commander of the army has given us our directions. This is what it means to be about. Listen, this is the good news that's here for everyone. There's a purpose for your life sitting here as a believer today. That God who hasn't just saved you has good plans and purposes for your life. And God has a call upon your life. And God has a good work for you to do. And God's desire is that he trusts you. And he wants to use you this way. He scatters you as good seed. Would you just protect your heart and protect your mind? And from that seed, allow good fruit to produce so that people get to experience the kingdom in and through you. But the good news today is that if you don't yet know Jesus, you can. If you don't know Jesus, the heart of God is that no one will perish. God so loves the world that he sent Jesus. God still so loves the world that he sends his sons and his daughters. We're the good seed of the kingdom. There's a purpose and a mission for us. And what I would love us to do just as we finish, Claire and the guys are going to lead us here in a couple of minutes. I'd love you to close your eyes. I'm just going to respond just in a couple of ways. Then we're just going to worship and pray. Firstly, just for 30 seconds, let me, let me just ask this. If, if you don't know Jesus today, 
just want to say that there's an opportunity. What I want you to hear in the teaching is that there's nothing, there's nothing about this that is to say that you and yourself are evil. The thing that I want to point out is that there is an enemy whose heart and purpose for your life is death and destruction. He does not want you to live into all that God has for you. And the good news is that this is why Jesus came to pay a price so that you could move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, from life or from death to life. And today I just want to give just 30 seconds. If today you would like someone to chat and be praying with you, today maybe if you've come and you would love to accept Jesus in your life, why don't you just raise your hand? No one else is looking. All eyes are closed at this point. Raise your hand and let us let us get a chance to get praying with you today. Just a few more seconds. The heart of God for you in all of this is love. This is an invitation to accept his love in your life. What I would love us all to finish, you know that this is where we've been. We're desiring that, we're believing that this year, why not, a thousand people to be saved. And we're saying this, there's a thousand people between all the churches. If each person they had one person to the Lord, to be the good seed scattered in the world, why not? What I would love us to do just before we, we worship and then I'll pray to close. I would just love us just to take a minute now and think, I want you to think about one person in your life who doesn't know Jesus. Someone that as God scatters you as good seed in your life, might be someone in your family, might be someone in your work, someone in your school. I want you to think of someone who doesn't know Jesus. And what I would love us to do, I would love us to be bold with us. We're the church in this place. Just before we start raising our voices to worship, we'd love us to raise our voices and actually start to pray. And so if there's someone that you just know even the picture of someone in your head right now, I would love you to start praying for that person that God would save them, that stuff would start to happen in their life, that there would be a revealing, that scales would drop off eyes, that people would have an understanding of God and his kingdom and, uh, and that God would even use you, that God would give you an opening. Why don't you start praying that? Start raising your voices. Let's be the church in this moment, can we? Let's be bold with our prayers. Come, Holy Spirit. so why don't we stand let's just worship let's just sing the song through just uh, briefly Claire's going to lead us in and then I'm just going to pray and close just in a second Let, let's worship Jesus he's the king he's the king of kings he has the name above every other name and let's just worship and give him what is rightfully his let's just praise and glorify him this morning we hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast 
For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.